Hello, I'm Chris Biddle, and thank you for joining me for episode 82 of Inside AgriTurf. Just me this week for a short episode during which I'd like to share with you some of the data on Inside AgriTurf over the past two years and also tell you about episodes due for publication in the coming weeks as we run up to Christmas and the new year. But first, I'd really like to thank you for engaging with Inside AgriTurf, which, as I said, has just celebrated its second birthday. The first thing to say is that it's growing week on week. And as of today, middle of November, we have added another 168 new listeners in the past 28 days, and now total over 4,100 individual unique listeners. 78% of those are in the UK and the rest spread across more than 30 countries, a list which includes Russia, Iran and Ukraine. But what about the market? How many podcasts are there out there and how does Inside AgriTurf compare with others? There are reckoned to be 4 million podcasts currently being produced worldwide, but within that number, the picture gets very fuzzy. That figure is largely based on data from Apple Podcasts and Spotify, who, between them, account for the lion's share of podcast streaming. And it's also reckoned that over half of that estimated 4 million are casual podcasters, producing just a few episodes a year, with very small download numbers, and also those that are currently dormant. Now the big hitters, those owned and generally produced by media companies, the top 1%, get on average about 4,600 downloads per episode. The top 10% get 450 to 600 downloads per episode, whilst the top 25% get on average 90 to 100 downloads per episode. And that is where Inside AgriTurf sits. Now, download numbers are extremely variable, but podcast episodes can be said to have legs. An episode of Inside AgriTurf published almost exactly two years ago in November 2020 has had just under 300 downloads and was still being actively downloaded this November. And there again, I recently noted 81 downloads on a single day uh, just last month, Sunday the 23rd of October to be exact, with a range of episodes being downloaded and I can only assume that a media source picked it up and published our details. A podcast listenership is growing apace. Figures for the UK suggest that 24% of Brits listen to podcasts on a regular basis. And that's around 15 million people, compared with 8.9 million in 2017. So I think you can say that Inside AgriTurf has achieved cut-through in the fast-growing podcast sector. And that's not bad. For a niche podcast aimed at a niche audience, all about 
the tractor and mower business. And now, what have we got in store over the coming weeks? Well, I'll be talking to John Ryan, the driving force behind Lawn Care Legends, a community of independent lawn care specialists who have formed an effective Facebook group to share information about successful and not-so-successful contracts they've completed, they compare machines and equipment, talk about the best vehicles, show off their work and pictures of their pets, and you know what happens on social media. And in recent years, they have developed into a very effective and social group, establishing friendships, organising their own awards and get-togethers at Sortex, where they use the theatre to run business sessions. And from Lawn Care Legends has emerged the Dealer Network, another very active Facebook group who use the channel, search for hard-to-get machines from other dealers, sell surplus stocks or fixtures and fittings, and try and solve tricky service issues with the help of other dealers, alert others to scams, thefts or frustrating customer responses, and so much more. So I asked John about the origins of the group. Um, so in 2017, July of 2017, Lone Care Legends was created because there seemed to be an appetite for community in the digital space um, on social media. And with different groups that were out there, we wanted to try and create something that was professional, that focused on education, support and encouragement, ultimately, um, in, in a world that can be negative or critical online. So we set that up and uh, from there we ended up creating some real world events, networking meetings, uh, we've done awards and things like that. And that's all to be to try and lift up and celebrate the self-employed professional end users in the industry. Their initial group, were they? did they come from people that you were already in contact with and you already knew? Um, yeah, initially it was, uh, there was a lot of different spaces where the community was finding its feet particularly in the UK. And um, it just ended up where I focused on connecting with the right kind of people. I embraced connections with dealers and manufacturers. And I noticed that there was maybe some perceptions about certain topics that could be clarified better by inclusivity from the different uh, sectors of the industry. So that kind of gave us the basis for a more informed conversation to have uh, take, take place online and and since you you've spun off into uh, a group which is online and communicating with one another called the, the the dealer network when when did that start that that came about about six months after lawn care legends creation um initially it was actually the brainchild of three dealers ashley bevan ryan higgins and um ollie ollie cowan from newcastle and uh, the three guys had noticed about how Lawn Care Legends had been set up. These were the guys who I was embracing as part of that interconnectivity with the, the content being being formed. And they had reached out to me and said, we would like to try and set up a dealer network and create that community space for the dealer sector within the industry. So we kind of put ourselves together as a team co-founded the, the dealer network and utilized the points that worked um, good with Lone Care Legends and implemented them into, into the formation of the dealer network. Now, as John recognises, 
There are many positive aspects to be gained by groups such as Lawn Care Legends and the Dealer Network communicating online, but it can be a hornet's nest of contentious issues, barbed comments and complaints aimed perhaps at suppliers or indeed fellow dealers. So I'll be asking John how he manages to keep a lid on these, how he sets out the parameters of responsible postings amongst members of the group, and what happens if a member posts content that falls outside these parameters. And indeed, most manufacturers and suppliers keep an eye on the postings. So what is their reaction, and what are the future plans for both groups? It's a very interesting and relevant conversation with someone who is committed to improving lines of responsible communication to the benefit of all those involved. And now, as they say, something completely different. We talk about agriculture, we talk about horticulture, and now we must increasingly talk about viticulture as the production of UK wines increases year on year. And to discuss this, I will be joined by two people with very strong connections with the Dealer Trade Association, the British Agriculture and Guard Machinery Association, BAGMA, but who are now both deeply immersed in wine growing. Chris Boiling is the editor of the BAGMA magazine, the BAGMA Bulletin, but is also a respected wine journalist, wine traveller and wine grower. Ian Beecher-Jones was Director General of BAGMA for 12 years from 1994 to 2006, since when he has worked extensively in the agricultural sector specialising in agritech and precision farming projects, but who now owns and runs a vineyard. So at the outset... I asked both Chris and Ian, who have never met incidentally, how they got involved in the wine business. I bought a vineyard in Slovenia. As one does. <laughs> now, I've been a writer all my life and sort of got to the age of 50 when I realised I hadn't put anything away for the future. So the kids had gone off to university. I thought, ah, I'll buy a property abroad. And the one I selected um, came with 550 vines, just a, a very small wine garden. But it sort of got me into it. This was 13 years ago. And the neighbours showed me what to do. And I thought, no, I want to do it better. So I took a, a degree course at Plumpton, four years part time, and switched from writing about business uh, topics to writing about wine. And Ian, um, as far as you're concerned, I know you obviously from your time um, heading up BAGMA, which seems an age ago now, um, and you've been involved in the agricultural technology, shall I say, market. With you, why a vineyard? Uh, sometimes, Chris, we wonder ourselves why a vineyard, but um, I guess it comes down to the fact that uh, we like wine and we love wine. And uh, the, our journey started um, in uh, well, about six years ago. Um, seven years ago and we were looking to work out what to do yeah we we were approaching 50 and going right what are we going to do with the rest of our lives we haven't got kids 
And so it was a case of you can either sort of put your feet up and uh, enjoy the rest of your life on the slippery slope downhill or embark on a challenge. And so we uh, we did the latter. Uh, we found a little bit of ground in the village that uh, that we live in in uh, in Russell's Water and um, weren't quite sure what we we're going to do with it when we bought it. And uh, yeah, there's a few vineyards around us and one conversation led to another and uh, Rather than have horses on the uh, the nine-acre site, we planted 9,000 vines. And Ian's 9,000 vines are projected to produce 12,000 bottles. It is a fascinating conversation about the upward growth of wine growing in the UK and the undoubted increase in both production and quality of homegrown wine. Chris talks about his travels making wine in Eastern European countries this year, whilst Ian tells about the use of drones, GoPro cameras, robots and data collection at his vineyard near Henley-on-Thames, and the increasing involvement of UK machinery manufacturers and dealers in the viticulture industry. It's a cracking episode with a real insight into success stories and challenges of growing wine in Britain. And finally, in a shortly-to-be-published episode, I'll be reflecting on shows for the turf industry, and in particular, a press release issued on the eve of the recent Saltex show. It was headlined, Better Together, an issue jointly by the GMA, the Grounds Management Association, Bigger, the British International Golf Greenkeepers Association, and the AEA, that's the Agricultural Engineers Association. And at first glance... It suggested the joining together of three long-established industry associations. But it wasn't like that at all. All it really said was that the three associations representing the manufacturers and suppliers on one hand, in other words the exhibitors, and on the other the associations representing customers and end users, are talking together about how they can best work together. Now, they've been holding round tables, it says, to discuss how best to start collaborating. And shows have been on the trade agenda for as long as I've been involved in this industry. Certainly when I was editing trade magazines, they were a constant theme. And the respective bodies have, of course, been talking together anyway for years. Here it is from Service Dealer magazine, June 1993. That's almost 30 years ago. And it says, and headlined, a round table was held including the AA, the IOG, that's the Institute of Groundsmanship, which was the uh, former name for the GMA, uh, and bigger, to discuss matters of mutual interest, including the proliferation of shows. And the th- now the three associations say they are going to employ a research company to canvas opinion of those working in sports turf. Now, sur- surveys can be illuminating, or... They can just state the obvious. And you can bet your bottom dollar that shows will be the focus of many of the responses, as will be suggestions possibly that the GMA and Bigger, both representing those working in the turf industry, that they should get together, they should merge. And indeed, an agreement to do so was drawn up some years ago between the two associations and announced at Saltex, but it never happened. And yet, in some notes that accompanied the press release, it said very clearly that both events, that Saltex and Bigger's BTMA show at Harrogate, will continue 
for the foreseeable future. And again, a further line that says a merger of GMA and bigger is not part of the discussions with both associations determining that they operate independently of each other. In other words, the two most radical and possibly appropriate courses of action are off the table before they start asking anyone for their opinion. And although this announcement by the three trade associations will be seen through the prism of their respective shows, it's much more than that. It's all about money. The GMA and Bigger, obviously wanting to protect the considerable contribution to their finances received from the shows. Meanwhile, AEA members, the exhibitors, wanting more bang for their buck from the show schedule. The show income not only supports the running of the association, but is invested back into the services offered to members. But the timing of the announcement was probably also influenced by a recent announcement of a new show, Groundsfest, to be staged next September at Stoneley, to be organised by the agency who until recently had the contract from the GMA to publicise Saltex until they were replaced earlier this year. You, you can make of that what you will. As things stand, there will be at least four shows for the turf industry in the next calendar year. Biggers BTME at Harrogate, Sage at Malvern, the new Groundsfest and Saltex. And let's, but let's be clear, shows remain an important element of the industry calendar. Saltex was a great success and advance reports suggest that BTME is already sold out. For shows create a handshake environment rather than a lonely Zoom encounter. You can't kick a computer screen like you can a tyre, if that's the option. But four shows, that's crazy. Far too many for a small industry, and particularly in a year when economic pressures will surely impact on the budgets available to manufacturers and suppliers for shows and other promotional activities. For it is they, the exhibitors, who will ultimately determine the future of shows. But what are their current thoughts? Uh, for this forthcoming episode, I'll be joined by someone who has been responsible for show stands, including those at Saltex and Bigger, over many years, initially for one of the leading manufacturers and currently for a smaller company, a distributor of specialist turf maintenance machinery. Uh, we'll discuss the current show schedule, whether a revamp is required, and if so, what are the options? And perhaps get round to thinking the unthinkable. I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me. And this is Inside Agriturf.